Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Um, I'm having trouble coming to terms with the idea that we're in December now. I'm having trouble coming to terms with the idea that Cyberpunk 2077 is actually coming out. Uh, For some reason, I feel like that's still a legend that will happen many, many years from now. But yeah, what is that? Like end of next week or the 10th? or? or... Yeah, it's going to be out on the 10th and reviews will be out a couple days earlier than that. We'll get to be talking about those reviews, by the way, and (laughs) why exactly we don't have a review. And pretty much nobody else does unless they're a handful of sites or certain influencers Mm -hmm. who got stuff in the mail. (laughs) But it's hard to believe because Cyberpunk 2077 was announced all the way back in 2012 and teased in 2013, which is ridiculous. And eight years later, more than eight years after its initial reveal it is finally coming out ridiculous i you want to talk about vaporware there yeah remember when the yeah i can't remember exactly when it happened but when the twitter account said beep and everyone lost their minds (laughs) oh yes like oh my god it's beeping (laughs) it's alive (laughs) uh we'll also be talking about fire emblem shadow dragon and the blade of light which is now out uh saga frontier is getting remastered and all the rest of the news, plus Atelier Riza previews are officially here. If you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. We really appreciate it. Brightens our day and makes the podcast more visible. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. And I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV, where I stream on Mondays at the minimum where I'm playing Super Robot Wars with Christina Rose. And on uh, Nadia is at Aktung Kitten. Kitten. Yes. And on Twitter, you're not at Nadia Oxford, right? Yes. I am totally Nadia Oxford. Nadia, I haven't had... So I've dramatically cut down on my caffeine intake. (laughs) (laughs) Are you feeling a little addled brain today, Kat? Just a little bit. So I was drinking maybe three normal size cups of coffee today pretty strong coffee at that plus a cup of tea in the afternoon so that's not a, that's a not insignificant amount of caffeine and i cut it down to one smaller kind of teacup of coffee in the morning and oh my god i'm having such withdrawals so yeah. that's why i'm going what what's her twitch account who are you where am i <laughs> there are wolves after me that's um God, I just take a caffeine pill in the morning. It's like 200 milligrams. Then I eat caffeinated chocolate. I just have always had trouble staying awake. Even when I found out I have major sleep apnea, I'm on CPAP. Uh, It's better now, but I'm still always in the realm of dreams. I have had major trouble focusing and I've felt really jittery. And I'm just like, I feel like caffeine is actually making it harder for me to focus I mean, granted, I have a lot of stress in my life for obvious reasons right now. I can't imagine why. Gee, I wonder, could it be just 2020? (laughs) Could it be that? Maybe. But, uh, so yeah, that's why I cut way back on caffeine. So if I'm just going, that's why. (laughs) We understand. Uh, It it is good to limit your caffeine intake. As much as we forget about it, and as much as we kind of make jokes about caffeine and coffee it is it's still a drug it's a stimulant oh yeah it's absolutely a stimulant and if you 
drink too much of it, um, it'll just completely scramble your brain. There's always that point where you go from feeling kind of warm in your chest and your brain is going really nicely to what am I doing? Who am I? There was a time when Canada was kind of limiting caffeine. I don't know what the deal was with that. At the very least, they were limiting caffeine in, in, in pop and in soft drinks. And one of my most vivid memories is walking along E3 2006 and noticing everywhere, everywhere, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, drink Mountain Dew. And it was funny to me because we had Mountain Dew in Canada, but nobody drank it. And I said, what's the deal with, with America and Mountain Dew? And Sharky or Parrish, or one of them told me, there's, there's, it's the caffeine. Don't you guys have like the, the caffeine culture of, of Mountain Dew in, in, in Canada? I said, no, no one drinks it. It's just at the back of the shelf and it tastes like piss. Nobody likes it. Uh, or crab juice. Is Mountain Dew? I would drink the crab juice. I honestly would. I don't like Mountain Dew very much. It's such a crap joke, and yet after all these years, it's still stuck around. It's still relevant. Yeah, it's one of those Simpsons jokes that just you wouldn't expect it to stick around, but it sure did. This is a tangent, but I used to work security a long time ago, and people would bring in these multiple cans of gigantic monster energy drinks or Rockstar, and yeah. my eyes would just bug out. I'm like, how do you not have a heart attack on the job? Seriously. Well, look at Mike. He, I told last thing I told him before he left is stop putting Red Bull in your coffee. And he's just like, like, dude, you can't can't tell what to do. It's ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, after that tangent, um, we also have a newsletter. And Nadia, what is this week's newsletter about? Well, it was a little interesting this week because I have a Spotify account. I imagine many people do. And Spotify released like your most listened to, excuse me, your most listened to songs and albums of 2020. And uh, there was a lot I hadn't listened to. And I'm like, okay, cool. I got to catch up on that, which is a feature I appreciate very much. But I was looking through the RPG music I was listening to because, of course, I was listening to soundtracks on Spotify and enjoying them very much. And they told me my sins. Uh, It it seems the (laughs) the RPG soundtrack, of course, I was listening to most was Final Fantasy XIV. But... That was only the, the Stormblood expansion, the Shadowbringers expansion's music, which is freaking incredible, is not on Spotify yet. And that makes me very angry because I, oh, I have to download these songs on iTunes like a, like a caveman. Me speaking like as someone who grew up with winding tapes with their pencil, I'm mad that I have to download music instead of streaming it. So the song I listened to most from an RPG was um, it's this, this, this song that plays in Final Fantasy XIV when you fight Lakshmi as primal Lakshmi, and it's called Beauty's Wicked Wiles. And most, like most primal fights in Final Fantasy XIV, it comes with lyrics that, that relate to the primal you're fighting. And it's just such a great song. I love it so much. It's ridiculous and silly and all like seductive. And I really recommend it. Go ahead and listen to it if you want. It turns out I listened also to a lot of Falcom stuff, which is they put all their stuff on, on, uh, sorry, on Spotify, which is fantastic. Ease 8 has a great, great, great soundtrack. Uh, one of my favorite all-time adventure beginning songs is called Sunshine Coastline from Ease 8. It, it's just like the most hard-driving adventure song you could think of when you wake up alone on a beach. It's incredible. So yeah, that was that was basically it. Just me talking about really cool RPG music that Spotify reminded me I listened to over 2020. I um, It's funny that you mentioned that because... I have actually been listening to RPG music lately, but it's been more remix versions rather than actual uh, like covers and that kind of yes, thing. Yes, yes. 
So there's an artist named Sapphire over on Spotify, and she does a, a lot of different covers. Um, and she released a, or they released an album called The Velvet Lounge, uh, mm-hmm. came out oh. in 2018, and it has covers of various Persona 3, 4, right. and I think five songs. Yeah, Rivers in the Desert is on it as well. So it's really good, and I strongly recommend that you listen to it. Um, my other uh, my other favorite listen right now, and I might even bring them on the show if I can, um, is Insane in the Rain. <laughs> that sounds very 90s. They did a Year of Sinnoh covers from oh. Pokemon Diamond and Pearl and they are fabulous. It was recommended to me by an Axe of the Blood God listener. Uh-huh. Uh, they do big band uh, like jazzy covers of all of the Diamond and Pearl soundtracks and it turns it from a pretty good soundtrack to a transcendently good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Some of those covers are amazing. So yeah you should definitely listen to Insane in the Rain. Maybe I'll uh toss in a quick sample right here um, and then maybe include the link in the show notes. So here we go. really want to do a whole maybe i'll just do a track of the week on this sometime i would okay. love to have the proto men here someday but i think they're too big to really bother with us. <laughs> they're such All a right. good show so newsletter comes out every single wednesday make sure to subscribe let's continue on to the news first item of business uh fire emblem shadow dragon and the blade of light is officially out on nintendo switch you can buy it for about six bucks it's going to be out for a limited time we've already discussed this very annoying. Mm. Nadia, my main surprising takeaway is that Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light, despite being quite old and a pioneer of the genre coming out in 1990, holds up surprisingly well. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised to hear that. I thought that it would be uh, just a relic, something interesting to look back on, but you'd play a little bit and say, okay, this sucks. I'm going back to Three Houses. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear what makes it exactly so playable. Is it all the features that they added, like the fast forward? Yes, 1,000%. (laughs) Yes. This game really needs the fast forward to not be way too slow, right? Because when you put it up to two times speed, you're like, okay, I can vibe with this. This is fine. Um, And then they also added the the turn rewind. And I think the game can be quite frustrating if you don't, because you can just walk into situations where you're like, oh, well, I'm trapped and there's permadeath. R.I.P.B. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Nintendo games were not always the most well-balanced things in the world. There's a reason why they say, quote-unquote, Nintendo hard. And the game can be a little unforgiving in the way that, you know, you'll just be leveling up characters blithely or using up weapons. And you're like, oh, I just I used up all the weapon. Oh, crap. <laughs> this game just got a lot harder. Breakable or, weapons. Oh, right? my, my characters are way under over, under-leveled. Whoops. <laughs> Do they give you that, like, with... Pretty much every Fire Emblem game I've played, even the older ones, so they give you that savior who's at your side and, and can tank everything until you're ready to, to move yeah, on. Jagan? Yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't recommend using him. How come? <laughs> because he soaks up XP that would be better spent on the rest of your party. 
Yeah, it's definitely a delicate balancing game, but at least you have that that meat shield. I'm, I've always appreciated that they included that in, in most of the Fire Emblem games. So what you do is you take all of the weapons off them and then give it, then just have them tank. <laughs> is he like a, because uh, usually these guys are on horses or something. Is he on a horse just punching people now? <laughs> Get your I don't know if you can take literally every weapon off him, but one of the first things you should do is take his weapon off and give it to somebody who's more deserving of it. I'm just picturing them holding it and it sinks to the ground because it's so heavy and they're so weak. But it's 25 missions long. It has a lot of characters that you'll recognize from Fire Emblem Heroes. And the way that it has the animated portraits are very Tecmo. And mm. it's almost like a charming demake of a modern Fire Emblem game. Right. In in a way, I guess that's kind of what it is, because you're dealing with things that just don't exist or, you know, you're dealing with a time before, for example, dating, marrying, all that fun stuff, the stuff that I really like, to be honest. Yes, that wouldn't show up until Genealogy of the Holy War, along with the Weapons Triangle. That's Uh, the one I really want to see get this treatment. uh, Genealogy of the Holy War? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's going to be remade. Oh, interesting. Kind of like Shadows of Valencia? Yeah, I think it's going to be something maybe under the Fire Emblem Echoes label. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have some pretty cool surprises from Nintendo next year. I wonder if the Game Awards will give us any cool surprises this year. I think Nintendo has really committed to Fire Emblem, especially mm-hmm. after, you know, Fire Emblem Heroes has been probably its most successful mobile game besides Fire uh, besides Pokemon Go. And Pokemon Go isn't even theirs. They have nothing to do with Pokemon Go. It just they helped out a little bit. Of course, they own part of the license, but uh, their old, Nintendo's mobile market never took off. And the only thing that really did take off, as you say, was a Fire Emblem Heroes. That's the only game. It doesn't make you know a ton, ton, ton of money the way some gotcha games do, but it makes a. So it's been consistently it's respectable, profitable. very respectable, very low key respectable. I've stopped playing it for the most part because I, I really felt like I was I was ready to get off the treadmill because I was like, okay, I got my party and the end yeah. game content isn't doing anything for me and I don't care about the story. So, Yeah, the story was always like, uh, uh, what? Okay, <laughs> okay, whatever you say, boss. But uh, yeah, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, the Blade of Light. The only caveat maybe is that it's a little dark, which I think is due to the fact that maybe it was built on the basis of the Wii U emulation so that's that, a that's weird something. choice why would you i yeah. don't understand that whatever I, nintendo's nintendo i mean it's not like they it's not like just a rom dump they did actually do a lot of work it's just of course. uh it is a little dim <laughs> that is weird and when you said dark i thought what are people like dying and getting their throats cut i mean yeah. i mean it is a little dark people die in of this course. game but the sprites are pretty nice too they anyway. are. i always love fire and sprites and I think the collector's edition, it was supposed to arrive in the mail today, uh, just in time for quarantine. Hooray. So, hooray. Yay. Hooray. Yay, uh, I have quarantine. so many friends who are so mad because they ordered it or they tried to order it and they couldn't get it. And mad, mad at Nintendo. Supplies limited, blah, blah, blah. Stupid idea. Gotta be fast. Gotta, be, gotta go like, fast. Gotta be ready uh, for when it's going to get announced and then just jump on those pre-orders immediately because you're not going to get another chance later. No. All right, continuing on with the RPG news. Uh, Saga Frontier is getting remastered for summer 2021. It's Kawazu time! <laughs> I really feel like we need an audio drop for that, Nadia. You've been hit by, you've been struck by, a smooth Kawazu. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like an audio drop for uh, Kawazu. But yeah, so Saga Frontier <clears throat> getting remastered. 
Um, I am kind of a, a shrug on this one, but maybe the fact that Octopath Traveler managed to strike a particular chord with people will make people kind of interested in Saga Frontier, Nadia. Yeah, uh, God bless Square Enix. I have tried very hard, and they have tried very hard to get me into uh, Saga. And I just, as much as I loved Octopath Traveler, I just cannot cling to Saga and giving out the blessings as I am. God bless Jeremy Parrish for asking me. Like I tell him, I can't really get into to Saga. And he's like, what are you playing? You should play this. You should try this. Of course, Jeremy Parrish is the Saga guy, and he is over the moon about this whole remaster thing. Uh, and you know what? The more I see these remasters, the more hope I have for Final Fantasy VI remastered because I am a fool. I thought it looked kind of pretty in the trailer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm glad it's happening. Uh, I will do my fool's, my usual fool's errand and try to get into it. Uh, but I'm not expecting much. Yeah, the original was interesting because it had the multiple protagonists, multiple stories with its free scenario system. Mm-hmm. The problem was that it was so open-ended that it could actually be a little bit difficult uh, when it came to the balance of the combat. So. Yeah, that's the problem I have with Saga games. Is they tend to be extremely opaque. And when I complained about that on Twitter, mm-hmm. when I was trying to play the latest Saga, I don't remember which one it was, uh, that's when someone responded with that smooth Kawazu line, basically indicating, well, that's the way, that's just the way Saga goes. That's just the way Saga goes. But. And some people love that, and I really appreciate that. And I'm re- I'm actually very glad for them for this remaster, because it's always exciting to get a remaster for a game you like. Hmm. Yeah, and I like seeing Square dig into its backlog. I just want them to uh, be maybe a little more respectful into the way the present they are presented. But uh, Saga Frontier remaster, it's going to have better graphics, events, cutscenes, and other enhancements, and even a brand new protagonist. Very exciting. So, yeah, I heard something about how uh, this, there's a seventh protagonist who wraps up the story who was originally supposed to be there, and I guess he got cut. So that's that would be very exciting for fans. And it will be out in summer 2021, which uh, I don't imagine we'll be doing much of anything, but maybe we'll finally be emerging from our homes, blinking at the sunlight, going, wow, the what sun, people, guy? amazing. And people will be like, screw that, I'm sitting at home and playing Saga Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> everything my life is saga frontier now i have absorbed myself into the matrix this whole pandemic people are like man it's been so hard and i'm like yeah it's been really hard but on the other hand i am an expert at sitting in ho- in my house on discord and slack and other online communities i am reconnecting with my roots nadia yeah i have as someone who has not worked in an office ever it's uh it's all old it's all old hat to me when I never leave my house anyway. <laughs> there's that. I go out to shop and yeah, I used to go out and ta- go see movies and stuff like that. But of course, no one's doing that right now. Let's talk about Cyberpunk, Nadia. Oh boy, um, let's. So the reason that we don't have a review of Cyberpunk is that we don't have code as of yet. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, um, that's it's not great. No, um, you really can't stuff a a 117-hour RPG into 24 hours for a review. It just doesn't work. We are not God. I mean, even if we had gotten the review code this week, that's just not enough time. I mean, the game is out on December 10th, and we really should have gotten it last week. Absolutely. At, at least. The, at the absolute latest. This is 
a game that's going to be tens and tens so long. It's going to be at least, a, you know, 70, 80 hours long, right? I mean, yeah, it's going to be I'm, ridiculous. Shout out, honestly, to the RPG companies that really get code to us as soon as possible. Uh, shout out. Like, Atlas got us Persona 5 like a month early. Yeah, I think Sega's pretty good with Yakuza. They usually give it to us really early. Um, Nintendo, it can vary, but I've had Nintendo games where I, usually I have plenty of time. Heck, we got Fallout 4 like three weeks early. I had at least That's two right. weekends to play that game. Yeah, you got to give us enough time to to play it and enjoy it, as not just as a reviewer, but a consumer. Because if you're sitting there double-fisting Fallout 4 to get the review done, you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah, and it's just not a great look for CD Projekt, honestly, no. because... It makes people be like, okay, so what are you hiding, CD Projekt? And CD Projekt can be like, well, we don't need a reviews. This game's going to sell like a zillion units anyway, so we're just going to coast on the hype. And you're like, yeah, but okay, you can do that, but that just comes off as extremely arrogant. And I don't know, like you guys were riding on such a wave of goodwill, and it feels like you really squandered that in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, it feels almost petty because, as we know, Cyberpunk, uh, sorry, uh, CD Projekt Red was cited for a lot of crunch and workplace uh trouble as you know and i don't want to accuse anyone of anything but like it, it just feels like well if you're going to report the bad stuff we're not going to give you the we're not going to give you code to the, we're not going to give code to the press yeah i feel like this is the first time that cd project red to me has felt very corporate well a couple thoughts uh thought number one is maybe cd project has been like this longer than we think Possibly. which uh we'll discuss in our retrospective that's coming up in the next segment. And uh, point number two, I so yeah, how we're going to be able to handle the actual review of Cyberpunk, I mean, I guess we'll be playing it on the fly. Um, we can't actually talk about it by the time this episode releases because uh, the, the embargo will not be up in any way. Really? We don't have code anyway, so I wouldn't be able to talk about it. <laughs> the title screen looks great. <laughs> I'll be playing it on PC. Um, uh, our reviewer will be uh, Julie Muncy, a freelancer. Um, I think Eric Van Allen's also going to be playing it. Um, we'll we'll reconvene for initial thoughts next week. Maybe, maybe Cyber CD Project is just like, eh, screw it. Everybody will be playing it at the same time, so all the discourse will be happening almost like when a TV show drops. God, Twitter is going to be a swamp for a week at least. Oh, yeah, I did the stupid brace yourself. CD, cyberpunk cakes <laughs> are coming. Cyberpunk, cyberpunk discourse is Discord on is coming. Yep. Yeah, sweet summer children, brace yourself. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be great. And there are plenty of people who are going, you know, I wonder if this is going to be the game that it takes two years for everybody to realize wasn't actually that good. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. For all of this nonsense going on, I, I still kind of hope for the best for cyberpunk. I, I'm not expecting the best, but. Something in me still wants it to to do well to surprise us. It's hard to get a good read on it in some ways because it is. I mean, I bet a lot of people won't be wrapping this game up until almost close to the Christmas holiday, right? Oh, probably through the Christmas holiday. Not a lot of breathing room for a good critical discourse. I mean, we might still be talking about this game. I I, I think we will be still talking about this game in January, and that might be when the real criticism is actually properly going, you know? Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot of people are going to be stuck at home because the quarantines and, and all of that, and people are going to be spoiling for a fight on social media. So Yay. get ready. 
So that's kind of where we are with Cyberpunk. What I'm expecting is, I mean, we'll do our initial takes next week, and then we'll have to jump into kind of the end of the year stuff. And then we not we might not be able to do a proper spoiler roundtable for Cyberpunk until January. So. Yeah, because we got a lot to do before we make that switch over, and uh, there's still a lot to cover before the year ends. Indeed. So that's where we stand on Cyberpunk. Uh I'll just say this to RPG developers, do better. Please. Um don't don't drop your game on everybody literally 4 days before it comes out. That's that's just unreasonable and it shows a, a lot of disrespect for everybody, in, influencers included. I I want them to do well too. I want everyone to just have good game discourse that's not full of chairs that have the Cyberpunk logo on it. Yeah, I mean, not every game can be given to us a full month ahead of time. Of but course. I feel like it's just better for the game when everybody gets a chance to play it for quite a while. And then there's that day where it's like, okay, here we go. The the reviews are going to drop, right? Yeah. And then everybody's up a- awake at midnight when all of the reviews <laughs> and all the videos and everything is dropping and all the review threads are going up. I mean, I roll my eyes at the scoreboard watching for this kind of stuff but at the same time it's exciting right it, the, oh, the hype is really strong and if the game is good which hey have some faith in your product uh, cd project mm, exactly if the game is good then it will be reflected in the amount of hype that is appearing in the scores and everything right so I, f- I feel like the more time you have the more that you more time developers sorry the more time reviewers have not just to make their reviews but to also write mm-hmm. cool takes about maybe under embargo, but still the things that they saw that they liked about the game, uh, highlighting certain things. And if you shove a game on someone four days before release date, you're not going to get that. At the best, you're going to get some really, really rushed reviews and the rest of the discourse is just going to be drowned out in the noise. I mean, the pandemic hasn't happened, helped in that regard for sure. It really hasn't. Every, the pandemic screwed everything up this year. I mean, it's just a genuinely great feeling when a super great game drops and everybody agrees that, like, holy crap, this game is phenomenal and everybody's having a great time with it. And there's just that wave of, like, really edifying discourse kind of going through. Or even a game like The Last of Us 2, which Mm. was really controversial, but, you know, for... I mean, frankly, Sony has its flaws in the way that it handled its rev- that that review process. Just go check out what Polygon had to say on that. But they still got the game in the hands of reviewers early enough, you know, yeah. that we were able to talk about it. So. And I remember the last time I felt like a lot of really excited hype for a game that was coming was when Breath of the Wild was uh, being mm-hmm. reviewed. And uh, I think they got that a month in be- beforehand. Yeah, it was, it was quite early actually, which was really good. So everybody had had a switch for a while before uh, reviews actually dropped. Look, I don't want to overstate the importance of the media in this whole ecosystem. I mean, so many people just don't really don't care about yeah. what, you know, the critical takes or the discourse or even or even what influencers have to say. There's going to go on basic word of mouth. But uh, at the same time, um, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> 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 I, the, I haven't had coffee this t- today <laughs> it's like the, the more you know rainbow flies by and it just says don't do that <laughs> I, I promise it'll be better next week when i get over this caffeine uh hangover 
Okay. Or when you surrender and go back to six cups a day. Last bit. Atelier Riza 2 previews are officially up. I actually played a little bit of it, Nadia. Oh, um, I've always I been got, curious about Atelier. I got a Steam code for it. I, okay. My first thought, and this is going to be a little reductive, but bear with me. At least from the... At least from a graphic standpoint, it reminds me of Genshin Impact. It kind of has that bubbly, very, very anime look, I suppose. Very bubbly anime look that is vaguely reminiscent of not the substance of Breath of the Wild, but a little bit of the style. Like yes. that is just what I'm going around. Just immediately, that's what comes to mind, like these pastel kind of cell shady look, which I I like, actually. I, I like the character designs. It's silly. Um Atelier Riza, of course, if you go and look at the uh, reviews of the original game, it's just everybody saying things like thick, th- thick thighs save lives. <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> T-H-I-C-C. But... Of course, you got to have the proper spelling. That's that's very important. So we didn't really cover Atelier Riser that in depth on the show because, you know, traditionally Atelier, it's always been kind of a, a C-tier series, right? I mean certainly has built up a, a cult. Gust is a historically significant uh, developer, right? It's been around yeah. for a solid 20 years at this point. They've produced many, many games, but uh, it's not been especially noteworthy, right? So it's been really interesting to see Atelier Riser just really grab people, you know, to the extent that it's just impossible to get the physical version of Atelier Riser. Uh, on Nintendo Switch, like the second that of it's course. up for sale, boof, gone. I feel like this is an, uh, another instance of when within the JRPG franchise, sorry, within the JRPG subgenre, you have little bubbles. Uh, the Atelier Riser is a, a one good example. Uh, Trails of Cold Steel, another really good example. Uh, a lot of Falcom games, Yeez, that's a good example. And these are games like from a distance, from a distance that look kind of like the exact same thing I did. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> they look like impenetrable and maybe unfriendly to new fans, and you kind of shy away from it. But uh, another good example being the Tail series. But once you get into it, you realize, oh, okay, each one of these these series have their own cliches, but they're very warm and fun, and they have their own individual charms. I mean, looking at Trails of Cold Steel from a distance, I'd be like, what is that? That's stupid. That's very anime. I don't care. But when I got into it, I realized, okay, I understand the appeal of this very, very, very long saga. Yeah, Atelier Riza, I, I think that the reason it grabbed everybody in a lot of ways was that it did have that slight Breath of the Wild kind of vibe. The pastels really worked. The character designs were a lot better. The main character was just immediately a lot more... Uh, it the, the main character immediately became the most popular main character in the series and is why that that particular main character is the first one to actually get a proper sequel ah um, interesting to be to be featured as the main character in a sequel um interestingly enough uh nintendo life did an interview with uh, the development team and junzo hosoi they asked like why did atelier riza like really strike a chord with the audience and hosoi said the reason that I think that struck a chord with the international audience is because it used a real-time tactics battle system, which is very popular in the West, instead of the turn-based system usually used in the series. We notice that people overseas tend to enjoy real-time gameplay, and the team used this information to help the series make a bigger splash, and it ended up working really well. 
And actually, honestly, like I do kind of like the battle system in Atelier Riser too. Um, Even though it sounds like it's action-based? I mean, the way it kind of works is that it builds up these points and then you can spend them uh, just on regular attacks or you can use them on kind of more powerful attacks that are a little bit flashier and you can use the combo attacks with your uh, party members as well. So That's um, interesting. It's a little bit like Mario uh, Mario RPG and that right. enemies will come in and then you block or maybe like Yakuza like a dragon, that kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of RPGs do that now. The active time battle, like not active time battle, but just a quick time battle, uh, which really does add to the combat a bit. It's a little thing, but it keeps me busy. I think it oversells uh, the battle system's impact a little bit. I, I think it helps, but I think it's just that when you look at a video or a screenshot of Atelier Ryza versus some of the more recent games before that, it's just mm. Atelier Ryza looks better, you know? Right. Uh, Atelier Ryza looks like a console game that is I, I want to play immediately. And the the game that came immediately before it, and forgive me, I don't have the, the name immediately handy, kind of looked like a mobile game. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate when developers realize, okay, we're developing this game for consoles, so we are going to make it look like a home game and not a discount mobile game. So some of the things that have been improved uh, for this one, they've improved the the alchemy system. So the alchemy crafting system has always been a big part of the series that's been revamped with new skill points. Uh, they've updated the real-time battle system. Uh, the characters are older now. Um, yes, they're grownups and the most significant new addition to the series is the ability to explore ruins exploring ruins is a key part of the story this time. And it revolves around discovering the secrets hidden within while learning more of the surrounding lands. We are also listening to fan feedback and are working harder to make the battle system even deeper and more rewarding. So Atelier Ryza, definitely a series on the rise worth keeping an eye on. The blood God is nodding in interest. Yes, I, I'm actually, someone will, abs- will instantly correct me on this because I know I'm wrong. I think there was an Italia game, Atelier game, where it has this really baller intro song called Schwarzweiss, and it was written by Rezo, who did the music for Bravely Default, which of course is incredible. Uh, so I actually really, really love that song, even though I'm not a fan of Atelier, Atelier uh, maybe in the future. I think that if it is gaining popularity, it is definitely worth keeping an eye on. As usual, there are too many RPGs. <laughs> they really are. And this is something I thought I'd never say in 2000, like 2010. Where are my RPGs? Now it's like, oh, God, RPGs. Ah, ah. I mean, I was kind of remarking that. It's like, you know, if, if CD Projekt wanted to delay Cyberpunk one more time. Uh, I would not uh, have minded. No, I would be oh. okay with it. Like, I was, gen- I was actually kind of upset when it got delayed back in, you know, April or whatever. Yeah, was like, it was oh, a different world in April. amount of time I would have been able to play it all summer. This would yeah. be great. And instead, now it's like, well, I want to play Yakuza. Yeah, exactly. I want to play Yakuza. Play. I'm playing Phoenix Rising, which is okay. Not really, not a bad game at all. Uh, yeah, I just feel like I, all the games that have all the RPGs that have moved to 2021, uh, Brave the Default Two. Uh, the the one with the the girl who controls time I can't remember the name of it Chris something with a C I'm sorry it was a great game that I previewed that moved to 2021 I'm really glad when a developer especially if a smaller game says you know what see you next year <laughs> we need a little yeah. more time yeah and it's fine sometimes um, 
But as we were kind of discussing, Cyberpunk has had a lot of trouble with crunch, and mm. we don't really want developers stuck working, continuing to work 100-hour weeks well until next I year. I really so. don't want that. On that note, let's look at, let's continue on and do a retrospective of CD Projekt. Don't go away. Okay, Nadia, with Cyberpunk 2077 out this week, it's worth looking back on CD Projekt, a studio that we have called the, you know, the studio that has become one of maybe the most important RPG developer uh, this generation. It kind of supplanted Bioware. We've talked about it in various glowing terms and not so glowing terms, but it's worth looking back on its particular history. So let's get started. So the thing, the first thing that stands out to me, Nadia, is that CD Projekt really has its roots in Poland, circa before the before Soviet before socialism ended. I strongly recommend that. Okay, so how do I say this? I think if you go back and watch the No Clip documentary, it paints a very uh, rosy picture of CD Projekt, because CD Projekt is able to tell their own story, right? Right. Um, no disrespect to Danny O'Dwyer, who, like, his shows are very handsomely produced and everything. Oh, yeah, no but, clip is great. Their Final Fantasy XIV one is fantastic. Watch it sometime. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's worth going and watching just to see the kind of the narrative that they spin for themselves. It was founded by Marcin Iwinski, and... One of the phenomenons that was kind of happening with Poland as the Soviet system sort of collapsed and they uh, transitioned into more of a free market economy was the rise of video games yes. in these particular countries. And we saw it with Russia, uh, with the development of Tetris and things like that. Though I think there were also like bootleg games and everything. There's a bootleg version of the NES, I think. Yeah, I think it's called the Dandy. has a really cute elephant mascot. Uh, that was extremely popular with Russian kids. It was yeah, as you say, it was a, a bootleg NES. You'll also find occasionally if you look up if you look them up, uh, Russian uh, communist Russian arcades and their very totalitarian sort of functional buildings is all you can really say for them. <laughs> a lot of the games didn't work a lot of the time. But uh, Owinsky would go to these these big game markets, right? And the Amiga was really popular in Poland, and so. Uh, he would copy games from like places that uh, that that had games that Polish people just couldn't get a hold of from like Greek and, and places like that. Right. Um, and he would copy them onto these tapes, and he would take them to the black market and he had a little stand, and he would uh, sell them. Right. And radio stations would even get hold of these tapes and would literally broadcast the games to people so that they could record them on their computers. That is so freaking cool. I can't even stand that. <laughs> I want to talk about cyberpunk. <laughs> there you go. That is 100% cyberpunk. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, a lot of communist countries did have the black market. Uh, fun fact, my father actually contracted typhoid when he was a baby and he got my fa grandfather got the medicine off the black market. But uh, That's not a fun fact. I guess... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a naughty fact, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but he got a—he subsequently got a modem 
and started downloading games uh, from bulletin board systems. Uh, and none of this was technically illegal in socialist Poland. Uh, there were no copyright rules because that just wasn't a thing. Um, and then to everyone. CD- and then CD-ROMs started coming on the scene. Um, and burners were insanely expensive in Poland. Um, so they were like, okay, so what can we do? And he teamed up uh, with Mihail Kaczynski. And they started doing localization. And do you know what the first game they localized was, Nadia? What? Uh, Ace Ventura on PC. <laughs> and that is that is a very nineties thing to do. <laughs> a very nineties like like Iron Curtain on the verge of falling thing to do. Ace Ventura. I mean, it was big in the nineties, right? Oh, of course, it was huge. It was everything was was Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. Don't love the ending of Ace Ventura these days, but uh, back in 1994 or whatever, uh, it was, I don't think people really remember just how gigantic Ace Ventura really was, like, in a way that, like, is actually kind of mind-blowing. It's like, wow, people really loved that movie. I think that one of the reasons, if not maybe the only reason Sonic the Hedgehog as the movie did so well as it did was because uh, Jim Carrey is fantastic as Robotnik. But after Ace Ventura... I mean, they started to have some success in the localization market. And this is a big one. And this is where CD Projekt's history starts to intertwine with broader RPG history in a way that I find really interesting. Um, They struck a deal with Interplay. Oh. And they became the distributor for the predecessor to one of the games that's on our top 25 RPGs of all time, Baldur's Gate. Oh, that's interesting. And this was a big deal for them because this was a huge risk, a huge risk. And uh, to back it up just a little bit, Nadia, they were localizing these games for a Polish market, which was a absolutely tiny market. So they were filling a very specialized niche. And then they also had to deal with the fact that people were just rampantly pirate things, right? Which would cut hugely into their extremely narrow bottom line. So they had to find ways to be able to deal with all of that. And they were taking a lot of risks. And I think that as English speakers, we just don't really appreciate the lengths to which somebody from Poland or other countries with, you know, more specialized languages. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. Have to go through just to play video games. Right. So, yeah, in that way, it's kind of a neat thing that they were doing. Yeah, we always like we are extremely privileged to be English speakers because we have localization immediately catered to us. But there are a lot of smaller markets out there that have to wait if they get them at all. And I think Polish should be one of those languages. So the way they dealt with the risk or the way they dealt with pirates and things like that and the way that they made their game stand out was that they had some really nice packaging. They had a really mm. good localization. They included a D&D book. They were like, I don't know. It might not actually be related to Baldur's Gate, but it's good value. D&D book. Here you go. Come and get it. And uh, that's, of course, that's a technique a lot of 90s game developers, uh, PC game developers use in the West. Uh, There were a ton of bonus pack-ins. Many of them contained certain keys uh, for security, but the game would stop you and say, oh, hey, look up page whatever in this manual and tell me what what third word is on the page. Otherwise, you're going to crash your game and screw you. So... It's interesting that they kind of went through for that technique as well. And it paid off because 
pretty soon, pretty quickly, word spread of this game. There were fist fights between wholesalers and from the warehouses, <laughs> like literal fist fights, and they wound up selling fifty thousand units in the first year. Comrades, no, don't fight over D anD D. It's not worth it. Well, you can you can uh, be a, a monk and you can be a you can be a warrior. So that that was a big success for them, and they were officially a business, and they wanted to diversify, and so they went to E3 and they visited Interplay and Irvine. And they saw the first presentation for Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which was more of a, a console action RPG. I think we've talked about it a bit, maybe during the PS2 console RPG quest. Yeah, I um, think it's something we covered briefly. Yeah, and they convinced Interplay in Europe to let them make a PC version of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance using a PS2 dev kit, which they smuggled home on their carry-in luggage. <laughs> and no one even caught it in the x-ray. No one said, what the hell is this? Well, and not only that, it was huge. It was a yeah. big dev kit. Like, I saw a picture of it. I was like, oh, my God, that thing is enormous. Oh, good for them for getting away with that. Good thing someone was sleeping on the job, but they just didn't care. Eh, it's <laughs> Friday. I want my beer. <laughs> uh, I One thing I don't miss, Nadia, especially as we prepare to go back into the land of freelancing, is... It's like the land of chocolate, only with no money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's money, but it, it's sporadic. It comes in sometimes. Uh, as we pre- prepare to go, I don't miss debug units. Yes, that is something I haven't. I can't remember the last time I even heard of a debug unit, but I just remember in my earlier PS4 generation. Really, was it even that late? I just remember in my earlier I have a PS4 generation. debug. Right do now. you really? I do. Okay. Yeah, I just remember like someone like one of the things that was always there was always drama about who has a debug unit okay can you mail it to so-and-so oh god how much is it going to cost and that's not something that's a lot of fun it was useful if you happen to have them i i had a ps3 debug and a 360 debug so that was like back in the day when game outlets actually reviewed everything for real you could (laughs) conceivably go hey i have a ps3 debug just lay it on me right so yeah, because there was, of course, there was no limitation, no, there was no lockout or anything of that sort for language or region. So here's the problem, Nadia. They get this PS2 dev kit home, they start work on Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance, and Interplay folds. Right, I remember that. So you're just kind of left adrift with this stupid debug unit as your boat. It's like, R.I.P. the game, and by the way, you have this dev kit now. <laughs> well, at least they had the dev kit out of it. You got the dev kit out of it. Your smuggled dev kit. Uh, so yeah, they, they were kind of left, uh, up a river there. So like I said, I- interesting inflection point in RPG history, but then it, it gets more interesting actually. So they start casting about and they managed to get hold of the rights to this, this series, this book series that was kind of known as the Polish Lord of the Rings. Okay. And they said it wasn't a commercial calculation it was they actually said it was a very naive signing because we think about like how sepkowski the uh the author got screwed ultimately yes, he in a lot of ways royalties. yeah yeah he got screwed by the royalties and there was a big fight but at the time they were like i mean we couldn't deliver a game are you kidding me yeah exactly i think he said uh, the author like i had no idea this was even going to happen i just took the money because well I mean, sure not? You're not going to get this done, but I'm going to take the money. So I'm I mean, glad that some, some nothing Polish studio, yeah, just comes be like, we want to buy the rights to your books to make a video game. Okay, oh, sure. okay, give me five bucks. I'm glad that they did work out the the royalties with him, though. 
There's a bad TV show for The Witcher, apparently, as well. Uh, before the Netflix version. Oh, I was going to say, I hear the Netflix is okay. You're telling me it's bad? So, yeah, this was a, a bit of a mess, which is kind of a, a thing that happens fairly regularly with CD Projekt, actually. So they made a tech demo, and we're looking for a publisher. But the tech demo was, it was like this overhead thing, and it was a real mess. It was not good. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they went to like 10 publishers, and only two responded saying, try harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh no at least yeah, they responded like, womp, womp, womp. but <laughs> so cd project they ended up bringing the development team that was working on this uh, on this witcher game in-house it became cd project red uh they had a lot of ideas but they had no engine so they were able to license the neverwinter nights engine ah. from bioware and they wound up flying uh after they worked on it for a bit they wound up flying to edmonton and actually showing uh the doctors greg zishuk and ray musica their game and bioware liked it and granted cd project a corner in the booth which was showing jade empire which is where i bet you saw witcher one i'm that sounds so familiar because it was it was literally a corner booth and actually i found the press kit for the original witcher in my stuff the other day so that's really cool Oh, you saw, found the press kit? I have Tell a press kit. It. Uh, it's got a trapper keeper. With, it's a witcher trapper keeper. Okay? <laughs> of course it did. And it's full of like literature about the game. Because even back then, 2006, you did not have huge downloads of press kits like you do now. And it had like, just glossy pictures of, of what's coming. And it's a really nicely put together thing. Uh, I'm glad I found it. That was a big deal for CD project because people were coming to see Jade Empire, right? It was the, one of the big games from at the show. Uh BioWare was coming off the success of KOTOR. They were suddenly a huge huge deal. And so people would check out Jade Empire and then BioWare would be like, eh, "Also, we invite you to check out uh this little game. The, these cool this cool developer from Poland. It's called CD Project. Check CD Project Red. Check it out." And it was in their words, they got the BioWare seal of approval. That's really, really, really valuable in that day and age. Uh, the Witcher 1 uh, was kind of a nifty game, actually. Um, fairly rough uh, by comparison. Uh, but it did ultimately sell very well in Europe, but kind of struggled um, in North America yeah. early on. Yeah, because uh, the, the license was totally unfamiliar to us for a long time. Not only that. It had some marketing issues, uh, according to CD Projekt. Uh, they were saying that the games were based... They they showed up in America for a meeting, and they went into a game store and found it kind of stuffed on the bottom of shelves. Ah. It didn't help that it was published by Atari, who uh, uh, was not great at the it. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Everyone. so they're like... Uh, they actually... This game starts getting awards, and selling basically on the strength of word of mouth. People are going, hey, hey if you like RPGs... The Witcher. That's mm-hmm. where that's where it's at. And apparently the second quarter of sales were actually better than the first. So mm-hmm. uh so so that was good. And they wanted to bring the game to console, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I seem to remember happen. them saying, like, yeah, we'll bring this to console. And I said, Oh, okay, cool. I'll come it I'll play it when it comes to consoles. And it just never happened. And when I first saw the initial reviews for the PC uh version of the game, yes, a lot of the reviews said this is a really good game, it's solid, but it has a lot of kind of glitchy issues, and they would eventually smooth all those out with the subsequent games or most of them 
Yeah, it was one of it would kind of start the the saga of trying to get Witcher on the dang consoles because <laughs> it never could. The eternal struggle. It would have been like writing Witcher one from scratch. Apparently, I'm not so, surprised. When they started Witcher two, they like one of their goals was simultaneous release on PC and console. Uh, yes, that did not happen. Ultimately, <laughs> no. So uh, this has just been a thing for them. Uh, so yes, they. Witcher One is a success. They're doing pretty well. They ha- they're making money. They have invest. They have a little investment company. They have good old games. They have a localization company, a distribution company, game development. It's looking good. And then a little thing called a continent-wide financial crisis hit. You we're this pretty familiar with like two thousand eight or thereabouts. I think yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah, and just like everybody got <laughs> smashed, it exploded. Yeah, I mean Iceland got absolutely smashed. They got decimated. I remember. Yeah, Um, it almost resulted in the destruction of my my favorite soccer team actually because they were owned by an Icelandic consortium at the time. They were actually considering taking on the Canadian dollar, and everyone in Canada was like, "Yeah, we want you guys to have our money. Take our money. It's colorful and stupid." But they never did it. Uh, So CD Projekt was suddenly in huge, huge danger. Like they were actually in danger of bankruptcy. Um, They went from 350 people to something like 200 people. They had really aggressive offers to basically take over ownership, Mm -hmm. large parts of the ownership of the company. And they were like, we we would rather go bankrupt than allow you to do that. Nice. But they were able to navigate these problems and ultimately get like some help and subsequently, we're, we're able to continue working on The Witcher 2. And so this is kind of where we need to start talking about crunch, Nadia. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the dreaded C word. One of the problems that CD Projekt has always had is that their, mess- their development process and their games always seem to be really messy, right? Yeah, Every but- single one of their games has suffered numerous delays all the time. Right. They waste a lot of time on, uh, reportedly, waste a lot of time on elaborate pre-rendered demos. Oh, that'll, that'll suck up your time. Which anybody who's seen Witcher 3, who saw the marketing rollout for Witcher 3 or uh, Witcher 3 or Cyberpunk 2077 can kind of like grok and go, oh yeah, they really do do that, don't they? <laughs> That's the thing they do instead of working on the game itself. And then when it's time to really uh get down and dirty it's just like oh my god we're so far behind we gotta get this done and the other thing is that cd project always kind of bites off more than they can chew yes in terms of like gameplay ideas like they have all of these huge ideas for what they want to do and they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger with each kind of successive game right frequently the tech can't keep up the programmers are going you're crazy right (laughs) you you can't do that are you serious yes running on dreams and there are a lot of rumors going around of conflicts between the actual developers and then the higher-ups the people who kind of set the vision right right the ancient the ancient struggle a lot of this was coming up on like glass door reviews and that kind of thing Mm. just a suggestion that the vision will not really be set and they won't be able to move in a particular direction. A lot of time will be wasted on individual ideas that ultimately get dropped 
And it's something that you can definitely see in Cyberpunk as well. It happened to Witcher 3 as well. Uh, development resources are spent in very weird ways, which we'll see in Witcher 3. Um, and, and this was kind of happening in Witcher 2, which got delayed more than once. So uh, not amazing. And also because of various problems that they were having, they were not able to meet their goal of getting this game out on the Xbox 360 uh, right, you know, at simultaneously, which you know, hurt it a little bit, I think. Um, the 360 version was well-received, but I think it would have hit that much harder if it had come out right at the same time in 2011. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the 360 was enormous, and uh, I could see a lot of people just being really excited about to get that, their hands on it the first time, like, while, the, while their friends are paying, playing on PC as well. Just have to say, 2011, heck of a year for RPGs. I mean, between Witcher 2 and, see, Witcher 2 came out, and Dark Souls came out, if you want to count that as an RPG, which a lot of people do, and Skyrim came out. That's right, and... Uh... Skyrim was a, was a very big one. So Witcher 2 and Skyrim together would have been like extremely important in terms of open worlds and all of that. And Witcher 2, underrated, uh, I think. Yeah. Everybody yeah. always pays attention to Witcher 3, but Witcher 2, I I really hope it gets remade or gets a, a really nice update. You can play it. We've talked about this already, I think, in a previous episode. Maybe the Xbox One console RPG Quest, maybe? Makes sense. Um, we were talking about the backwards compatibility and how it got various upgrades. And actually quite looks quite nice if you're playing it on, say, Xbox Series X right now. But uh, yeah, you should check it out because it still looks very good. It looked amazing in 2011. It did. Incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, like amazing. I remember having a high-powered PC and, I mean, it looked like a PS4 game mm. uh, at that time right right so it was a couple of years ahead of and it's pretty ambitious in the way that it tells the story because there's a there's a huge story split where basically it's like here's one half of the story you're playing the other half and then if you want you can go back and see what happened on the other side yeah that's pretty that's pretty cool what's your take nadia on games that are or like this notion that developers are like oh well we don't want to work on content that not everybody is going to see uh, in terms of, say, storyline splits and uh, yeah. hidden quests or, and stuff like that? Or, like, just quests that are hard enough that a lot of people aren't going to actually be able to get it. So they're like, well, let's make it easy so that people can actually see this thing that we worked on really hard on. <laughs> As someone who does not like brutally punishing games, I kind of appreciate that point of view. But I can also understand why it would be all the more satisfying to see a quest storyline after you've suffered that punishment and and worked for it. But uh, as someone who is basically a child of MMORPGs now, it, it is just so easy to to look at quest stories. It's like, oh, deliver this pie to this Moogle. Cool. You get a really, actually a really interesting story quest for delivering that pie. Thank you. So <laughs> I, I am pretty okay with developers saying, you know what? We want people to see the stuff that we worked on. Um, but kudos to the people who stick it out and just power through the trouble and get that reward. It must taste all the much sweeter. See, I can see the argument for going. Oh, I really want. Uh, I, I really want to be able. I, I'm not. I don't care for the idea of creating these giant route splits where people are not going to see a huge amount of content. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think it enriches the experience to have that much of uh, a differing experience, right? It gets people talking. Exactly. And I think that's maybe even if it wasn't as important in 2011, it's really important now because social media is everything to advertise a game. And when people hear about a game that has maybe a, a path that you can only access if you're a little bit more hardcore than the average player, that in, brings up a lot of intrigue. And that can be huge to getting eyes on your game. In any case, uh, Witcher 2 was kind of a big risk because, you know, when it was just when it was localizing Baldur's Gate back in the day, like if Baldur's Gate had failed, CD Projekt would would have been done. And that would have been it. But with Witcher 2, it it was kind of a similar instance. If Witcher 2 had been a disaster, like that would have been kind of it for CD Projekt. Yeah, it it always feels like they were, at that time, always on the verge of one failure away from oblivion, so to speak. And that's the case for a lot of developers. It's just sometimes sometimes it feels like it's because they're taking big risks and taking big bites of the apple, and sometimes it's just circumstances. Sometimes it's just the video game industry, the nature of the beast, right? Yeah, and they clearly weren't playing it safe with smaller, say, more licensed releases to build up that pillow. But Witcher 2 ended up being very well-received, selling quite well on PC, and did even better once it reached the Xbox 360. Um, Suppose uh, it added a fair number of elements, which some people have said might have been actually elements that were cut out on the PC version. So it was Mm -hmm. an enhanced version. But So that kind of brings us to Witcher 3. And again, like if you want to talk about crunch... uh, I mean, so the scale <laughs> of this game was crazy town. Like it was four times larger world, tons of new features, tons of gameplay systems. And around the same time, Nadia, they also got the cyberpunk license. Right. So they really kind of had double whammy going on. They must have panicked a little bit. And so they have now they have the cyberpunk license in 2012 and they're working on Witcher 3. And they've got this initial team going. and the initial cyberpunk team because witcher 3 is proving so big all of the cyberpunk people basically get moved over to witcher mm-hmm. 3 where mm-hmm. they're working on it for like the next 3 years wow yeah and what's wild is a lot of the people who ostensibly got hired for cyberpunk probably never got around to actually working on witcher 3 <laughs> that's right <laughs> So can you imagine being working on a project? It's like you were hired for this project. Actually, you're going to work on this entirely different thing. And you're just going to work on it for years. And you're like, well, what about this thing that I was hired to do? Well, not anymore. Yeah. We were going to forget about that for now. Your life is now this. They did a teaser in 2013. And one of the reasons they did this teaser was it was almost kind of like a recruitment reel. Because... They wanted to attract people from outside of Poland. Of course. To come in and work on Cyberpunk 2077. And it worked. A lot of people did. Like CD Project had CD Project Red had made a name for itself as a kind of a big time developer by this point. So I imagine that they must have been a little disappointed. Well, not too disappointed to have worked on you know, the, the RPG of the generation. But, the biggest RPG of all time. Yeah, exactly. But this kind of belied a lot of the, or underlined a lot of the problems that CD Projekt was having with turnover because people were being, were working very long hours and 
They, it could be pretty confusing, like resources were being spread in weird ways. That takes a toll, right? And it really are going to leave. That's just how it goes. Yeah, um, I'm looking at some of the numbers you posted in our notes, and it's not small. There, there was a lot of turnover, and CD Projekt Red, even though it's an extremely talented studio, that does take a toll on the creative output of it, and, well, probably leads to things like crunch, frankly. More crunch. So Cyberpunk is just completely off to the side at this point. Of course. Completely mothballed. So Witcher 3 finally launches May 9th, 2015, after numerous delays. It's on all the platforms this time. Mm, well, they did that, and they got that. Uh, right um, I don't. I didn't even mention the fact that with Witcher 2, um, they had dropped the Aurora engine. They weren't using that anymore, so they had a new oh. engine. And so with Witcher 3, they had their, their fancy engine, right? Was it their own engine, I suppose? They made it themselves? Yes, yes, the okay. red engine. Um, and so Witcher 3 is out. It's on all platforms, good times, big bonuses handed out. Yeah. Everybody is like fairly happy and burned out. Um, <laughs> Lightly. But they weren't done yet. So they spin up a small team for Cyberpunk. They dusted off late 2015, supposedly. And they, they're doing like prototyping and initial like prep work because there's a lot of prep work that was done with Cyberpunk earlier. Mm-hmm. But none of it really went anywhere, right? It was, it right. was nothing more than like preliminary. But they spent another additional full year from 2015 to early 2016 making these two enormous expansions for Witcher 3. Right. Which are supposedly really, really good. They're amazing. Like yeah. Hearts of Stone, in freaking credible. And Blood and Wine is supposedly even better. I haven't played that one. I'm going yeah. to when the remastered version comes out. So the core team is still focusing on these big expansions. So it's a full year of that. Finally, development winds down in 2016 and the core team shifts its attention to Cyberpunk. It's been four years at this point and basically no work has been, has gotten done on Cyberpunk. (laughs) Poor Cyberpunk. And they discovered that the Red Engine 3 apparently was not adequate for it. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't know that part. I forgot about that. So there's a really lengthy video uh, it's about 40 minutes long um, from Yang Yi. It uh, came on 2017. XCD Project Red de- developers speak out. Uh, mm-hmm. They purport to have uh, sources from within the company who are telling stories. Um, and they're also going by like Glassdoor interviews or reviews and that kind of thing. Lots of stuff got spread on message boards. Um, right. At this time. Put it this way. A lot of smoke. Um, and maybe some fire as well. And we've seen it kind of borne out a lot in in some of the harder reporting that's happened around cyberpunk as well, specifically. I think so. One of the unfortunate and very disappointing things that I've heard from more than one XCD Project Red person is the old line about how, oh, yes, we're crunching, but you're, you're lucky to work here because we are legend. And that's just such a, uh, that's so disappointing. The story goes that the red engine that was being used for Witcher 3 just was not adequate for cyberpunk as they've discovered um so they wanted to do multiplayer for cd for cyberpunk that's not going to be a thing right out of the game no. that's <laughs> a gone. later release uh it wouldn't work because it needed too much data to synchronize and transfer uh it wasn't really built to handle skyscrapers that needed to be rewritten oh so i guess not <laughs> we need to spend like the next uh the city itself was going to be way bigger 
right? More complicated, more people. Mm. They're going to have like multiple different cameras, first person and third person. They had originally planned to do storylines for both men and women. Like there's a lot going on here. And they were like, and remember, Witcher 3 had just Geralt. As yeah. Your hero. I mean, I guess Siri too. So, but still. So yeah, they were, it wasn't just a, well, it's Witcher 3, but it's cyberpunk. No, like, no, they really changed a lot with this game, Nadia. I just love the visual. And I don't even know if this is like, if I'm not even getting this right, but the visual of, oh, we have this engine that can't handle skyscrapers because it's built for medieval Europe. <laughs> it's just so, I don't know. That just seems so like funny to me. We have to upgrade the engine so we can have skyscrapers. You just never know what you're going to encounter when it comes to uh, your engines. Like the weirdness that it's like, oh, okay, that's weird. I guess my engine wasn't prepared to handle this really basic thing that I kind of needed to do, like gigantic buildings. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I know very little about engines. So it's a little bit gobbledygook to me. But I just love that idea of like, well, we actually have to get out of the medieval age into the cyber age with our engine. I mean, just think about any program that you've ever tried to use where you're like trying to get it to do a very specific thing. And it's like, uh, no, 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 no. It's like you stupid, stupid machine. And then imagine it writ large. Mm, Yeah. With an engine. No, thanks. uh, Also, supposedly CD Projekt in 2016 was in the process of upgrading its tool set. And that included a quite a large upgrade to its software. That was also a problem because... If they're upgrading their tool sets, that's going to slow down development and production. Yeah, not a great time to do a massive upgrade. So many team members, apparently, supposedly just able to only do sit and work and do concept work while programmers are doing this thing. So they're just kind of doodling. Like I said, this was... This was all stuff that was kind of coming out in 2017. Kind of sitting, sitting there making the S symbol that you do in your school when, when you're in school. A lot of a lot of rumors. Um, yeah. And including rumor that Cyberpunk's pre-production from before 2016 was entirely binned. Mm, which, yeah. Uh, in a way, like basically starting from scratch. Uh, that's crazy to me. You that know? is crazy. Uh, that happens with a lot of studios that do have trouble with crunch and bad management is you have someone up top saying, oh, we're scrapping everything to start from the start. And that's just a lot of wasted work. A lot of that would shatter your motivation, too. If you worked hard on something and someone up top just kind of glances at it and says, um, it was not really fitting our vision. We need to get rid of it and start again. And that would break your heart a bit. Still, supposedly by last year, they had a playable version of the story like done. And it was like a lot of talk of just polishing it up and everything. But of course, the pandemic hit, mm. uh, localization ground to a halt. They okay. all had to go home. And then there are heavy reports that they've just really had a hard time getting it going on current gen consoles. Yeah. And that's one thing I can really, really be afraid of because uh, one of the big reasons I want to get a PS5, and of course, I failed immediately when I tried to go for the Walmart Canada sales the other day is because the these these games that are straddling generations they run like crap on the on this old generations uh, hardware uh i love yakuza but man it runs like crap on the xbox <laughs> <laughs> everything and i am not miss frame rate i do not care i sat there and played hyrule warriors age of calamity not giving a damn because i don't know something about the frame rate stuttering and that felt right it was a muso game but you know the, the low times in Yakuza are really long. The uh, Ichiban kind of stutters as he walks along. 
And I have a feeling it's going to happen, if not worse, with cyberpunk. And that's that worries me a bit. Maybe that was always bound to happen, right? Not the least because CD Projekt Red is constantly so ambitious with its presentation and its graphics and everything. It really pushes the envelope, but like the technology can't always keep up and it can be kind of a problem. Yeah, most definitely. It's a, We're in a kind of a unique situation in, our, in this generation because... Uh, I mean, there were instances of games straddling the line in the PS3 and PS4 generation. I, I think of Grand Theft Auto 4, of course, or was it 5? I don't remember. I think it was 5. Uh, but it feels like developers are having a much harder time with that this time around. And, and then, of course, we get to the point where CD Projekt vows that they're not going to have crunch. People are going to have good quality of life. And like they made, repeatedly made a big deal about this. Bloomberg comes out and says, uh, actually, there are people who are working six-day weeks, and it's, like, mandatory. And also, people have been doing this for a while. And there's yeah. some people who are working 100-hour weeks. That is crazy. That is just not fair. And CD Projekt starts pushing back and saying, well, there are, like, gigantic uh, bonuses that are, like, coming in. Like, huge, huge bonuses. D don't get me wrong. But at the same time, like, you wonder why CD Projekt has so much turnover. Well, there's your answer. And I mean, I'm glad they have the monetary bonuses. That's great. That's probably more than a lot of studios that, that practice crunch give, unfortunately. But it's still not a replacement for the time you lose with your family and your health. In fact, there was even a bit of controversy because uh, one of the, the top executives came out and said, oh, look, crunch has never been a problem at CD Projekt. <laughs> all completely overblown. And then had to apologize internally to the rest of the team to be like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not right. You know, my bad. we're cool. Right, guys? We're cool. Yeah. So here we are. Um, and there have been people in the media and influencers who have pushed back against this narrative. And I mean, there have been developers who have come out and said, uh, actually, no, it's actually that bad. So, yeah, a lot of back and forth. Um, on that particular subject. And I really think that it's poisoned the well a little bit in terms of the hype for Cyberpunk 2077. And I, I think that's too bad because I think that some of the achievements that CD Projekt has managed have been really monumental. I, Absolutely. I think Witcher 3 is an incredible game, but it 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 sucks to see the, the bad side of all of this as well. Of course, I feel like it's not irreparable. I feel like CD Projekt Red, they can absolutely fix themselves and stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again. They just have to stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, I feel like, I, I just don't think crunch is, is ever necessary. What I think is interesting is that you were saying that you felt like CD Projekt had been corporatized. Yes. Um, that that wasn't a great fit. I almost go the opposite direction and feel like it, in some ways, never left the startup mentality, where it has most of the same people who founded it are still there, and they seem to kind of still take that seat of the pat, seat of their pants, like think big, break things mentality. Right? They seem to have trouble at times scaling up properly in terms of who they were able to hire. Like they will have higher waves of developers and then spend them in somewhere completely opposite of where they were actually hiring them. So they yeah. aren't spending the resources properly. Uh, they have huge amounts of turnover, that kind of thing. Um, a corporation, when it's going well, has a process. 
It's not like right. completely, it's not like completely chaotic. I mean, uh, like I go back to the, the case of Ubisoft, which for all of its horrific faults, uh, has a really so stable, uh, multinational studio system that, that to me is a corporation, right. Or right. Um, I look at 2k, right. Where there's just like, consistently have a process they're putting these games out they know how to put out call of duty every freaking year right <laughs> and <Yeah>. they do <laughs> and they do and uh cd project on the other hand is just like heavy metal let's go we're just gonna work our yeah. bus off and consume tons of coffee and you know so it's not, to kind at of a certain point that's not healthy for a business yeah to revise my statement a bit i suppose it's like yes you're absolutely right they do have that rock star seat of our pants, let's do this attitude. But they're growing to the size of a corporate company if they're not there already. And the PR mm -hmm. side of it feels very corporate is what I mean. Uh, and not in a good way. You you can have good PR who works with people and understands like, okay, well, you, you criticize us, that's fine. We'll just let it roll off our shoulders. With this, with, with, with Cyberpunk, it's just we're giving this game to the people who we know are probably going to be, give us all the praise right up front. And that feels very naive naively corporate well i think that they you know they had hundreds of people years ago <laughs> uh it's just that maybe maybe the mentality hasn't caught up I don't no know. it could be i i really do hope that i don't know if they're going to take any way any lessons from all the troubles that came to developing cyberpunk i know that the covid virus has not helped anything or anybody that take that into effect but even even that even with that, you have to consider, well, they always had these problems that are just going to get worse as they become bigger and bigger and make bigger and bigger games because that's what they have to aim for now. We made The Witcher, it's huge. Okay, now Cyberpunk, even huger. What's next? I don't know. But you can't just throw it together and hope it all stick. Well, it kind of reminds me of Bioware. Yes, that's what I was just thinking of. Bioware is a good example. And, uh, well, meh. Well, Bioware, it their process always worked for them, right? They the just Bioware Magic, they called it. That was it. Yeah, they were consistently able to pull off these tremendous games um, with tons of crunch, and you know everything would come together at the last minute, and the tech wouldn't always hold together, but you know they they would get <laughs> through it until they couldn't. Exactly and, until they couldn't. That's all it and, is. You and you wonder, like, will CD Projekt will have will will they have their until they couldn't moment? That's exactly what I'm wondering, and it might not happen with Cyberpunk. They might pull this off just fine, but it can't keep going like this forever. That quote unquote Bioware magic or whatever you want to call it is just not really feasible in the age of 4K game development. But in the short term, I mean, there's no denying the accomplishments that CD Projekt has managed to carry off. I mean, they've gone from this itty bitty company got their start as this company that was hustling Amiga tapes and doing local. Yeah, off the radio. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, not off the radio, just downloading them from BBS. Yeah, yeah. Radios were doing it. But so cool. uh, to localization, to distributing Baldur's Gate, to just getting hold of the Witcher license because they're like, uh, uh, we'll make, let's, let's get this game. I'm surprised they got it. Uh, I suppose, of course, video games were smaller back then, and no one's really looking at the prestige of a studio when they wanted. Like, no one's going to give. Kowski was paying attention. He was like, "Whatever, I don't care." <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the guy yeah. doesn't like video games. He doesn't really. It's like whatever. You can do That's a good point. It was not like he had his like uh, some PR person like doing his negotiations for him or whatever. And this was the 2000s. Like people had a different uh, outlook on video games at that time. Yeah, absolutely a different outlook. And they they grew into a juggernaut. Witcher three for all for all the faults of its development turned out to be an absolutely incredible game. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, they have made it. I have all respect for them, especially considering their roots. I just want them to, you know, maybe clean up their clean up the area a bit and make things a little easier for themselves and for their developers. I I hope Cyberpunk is good. Honestly, I really do. Honestly, like for all we sit here saying, eh, Cyberpunk, it be worth it. Like exactly. All those people who just sacrifice so much time. Like I really hope that they get the reward that they deserve. I agree, and I, I really, really hope it works out for them. So Cyberpunk 2077, it will be out December 10th, so this week. And, I mean, I'll get code sometime this week. <laughs> Start playing it. Stay have, tuned. Have, stay tuned. So, all right, Nadia, let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, it's time for the track of the week, the segment in which we listen to a song that we really love from a popular RPG because music is so important for understanding the genre that we love. This week, we have a song from Saga Frontier in honor of its remaster. See if you recognize this song. dig it it's a good song very very 16-bit energy but in the best way possible even though it came out on the playstation yeah we're not exactly going for the whole red book audio here we're just enjoying that classic 16-bit midi sound and i'm all for it i when you say 16-bit midi my first thought immediately goes to wild arms yes it it has that like very bombastic boom 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 right up front and wild arms energy is extremely similar and I'm down with that because I love Wild Arms soundtrack. His soundtrack is so fantastic. Uh, yes. I'll have to go into it sometime sometime in real depth, but yeah. But that is the theme of Alkaiser. The Alkaiser is the super-powered form of Red, who is one of the game's protagonists. And he looks like a superhero, and that music, I think, kind of fits the superhero kind of vibe. That is a very, very superhero vibe. Almost Sentai, I want to say, as well. It reminds me of Yeah, Sentai was the first thing that came to mind, right? Yeah, maybe it means it needs it needs more electric guitars, but it does have that. But the uh, Saga Frontier soundtrack covered like seventy five tracks. That's a lot of tracks. <laughs> That's a lot of music. I man, sometimes these composers just come out with so many great songs. I wonder how they have the creative energy to do that. And the album reached number sixty nine. Nice on the nice. Japan Oricon charts. <laughs> Good for it. That <laughs> is quite nice. It was composed by Kenji Ito, best known as Itoken. That was his nickname. Started as a composer of FF Legend 2 and over the years has worked on Romancing Saga, Shadow Hearts, Covenant, etc. Also contributing to the Smash Brothers arrangement, most recently worked on Adventures of Mana. Got a start on the piano at four years old. Very cute. 
Mm, um, nah. Doesn't play games mainly inspired by images from the games. Not a you're a Mana fan. What's your take on Kenji Ito? Did I play Adventures of Mana? Is that the one I'm always complaining about? Probably. I mean, uh, all of them are kind of worth complaining about, except for <laughs> Mana and Seiken and Fantasy Three. So, uh, I will say though that um, I have played the Final Fantasy Legends games, and they are some of the best sounding games on the uh, Game Boy. They have fantastic, really, really mythological soundtracks that really get a lot out of the Game Boy's chip. Really makes fantastic use of it. So I, I also appreciate developers who started with the, the most primitive hardware, which of course the Game Boy is a good example, and work their way up to more advanced hardware, which which of course Ito does a lot of. So uh, yeah, I even though I'm not like going to sit here and say, oh, I love this song, I love this song by him, I love this one. Uh, I do think he's a, a pretty fantastic composer who's added a lot of fun and value to the Final Fantasy Legends games, which of course were saga games to just renamed. I think the Saga Frontier soundtrack is kind of underrated, actually, having listened to a bunch of the songs in preparation for this track of the week. Oh yeah, no, absolutely nothing wrong with how the games sound. Just uh, pl- I just listen to this beautiful music while feeling like an idiot because I can't get the game to work the way I want it to work. All right, that's our latest track of the week and let's continue on to letter time nadio yes letter time uh and this letter's week's letter is from bishia ted who says so i think the correct answer as to which rpg bird to eat is the <laughs> price <laughs> from ff12 and ff tactics advance 2 which by the way nadio you are a national treasure because <laughs> asking which rpg bird you want to eat it's just incredible thank you I blame Final Fantasy fourteen. It makes chocobo sound so delicious. Fried chocobo. Bishia Ted observes that they're just a round feathered orb that seems perfect for eating, even comes in a jumbo size. So the cluckatrice is basically a chicken McNugget. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm not too familiar with the enemy. If you look at it, will it kill you? Will it stun you or turn you into stone? You got to be careful of that. Oh, now I have to look it up. I, I'm not exactly familiar with the cluckatrice either. Um, it is pretty fat. Oh it yeah, giant, it it legit looks like a a giant chicken, like a big old rooster. Yeah, okay, I remember it now from Final Fantasy twelve. I remember them. I think they were raised domestically. I could be wrong, so maybe they don't kill you. It wouldn't be a good idea to raise livestock that could like turn you into stone when they look at you. There's also the chickatrice, the little baby. Yes, it's young. Ah, it's gonna die. Uh, it's quite difficult to defeat. Uh, the Cluckatrice will run out and target the first on the team to strike. It attacks quickly as it has haste by default and can slow and petrify characters. That sounds about right. You gotta really gotta look out for Final Fantasy if it's good at one thing. It's giving you these little tiny enemies that you say, oh, how cute. And then they just eviscerate you. The Tonberry probably being the number one example. I don't think it's cute. I think it's just fat and kind of like scary. <laughs> it looks like it's going to eat you. Well, you turn you into stone, so maybe it will. Maybe it eats rocks. Uh, Bishia Ted also says that they're really excited for Neo, The World Ends With You. I can only imagine Nomura's fashion obsession will continue to shine through, and I just hope maybe this time our characters can actually show the clothes they're wearing. I didn't grind my bravery into the 70s for Neku to not look like he's wearing a skirt. That's true. I forgot you could do that. You could make your bravery uh, strong enough for him to wear a a skirt, wasn't it? I 100% did that, and I thought it was great. That's uh, And that was at a time when, you know, now when you have... uh, 
you, you kind of have cross-dressing with, with, say, Animal Crossing. Nobody really bothers you about your gender or anything like that. And thankfully, that's becoming more popular, uh, a more popular option in, in many games. But back then, Neku in a skirt was a little bit, not exactly controversial, but it did stir up some conversation. Yeah, I'm actually pretty happy with the fact that developers are just like, whatever, mix and match all you want. I don't care. Wear what you, wear what you want. I, I have no time to get stressed out about anything like that. Wear, you, wear what you want. The moral of today's episode. Wear nothing if you like. If you're working from home, you may as well wear nothing. Oh, yeah, and we're about to play Cyberpunk, which uh, they're like, yep, nudity is a thing. Uh, because <laughs> in our transhumanist future, people don't need clothes. Can you seriously go around without clothes in Cyberpunk? Like, no clothes at all? I think there are characters who are just naked. In that oh, why game. not? Like Dr. Manhattan, just like, hey, look at me, I'm blue. I think it was in Futurama where they were saying, we don't have any of your old, uh, outdated notions of modesty. <laughs> sure, why the hell not? It's the future. It is indeed the future. And with that, that is the end of our episode. Thanks, everybody, to listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor. Go leave us a positive review on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV. We've got a very busy month ahead, Nadia. we got so much recording to do for Axel. We do. We want to make everything so awesome for you guys when it is time. When it is time. The time approaches. The time approaches. The time of the blood god is at hand. <laughs> he says that when U.S. Gamer is finished, the blood god shall erupt from the ground. Like Lavos. Like Lavos. Oh, it's shit. the age of Lavos. Only we the destroyed the world. Raining RPGs down on unfortunate townspeople. I'm sorry for burning you up. <laughs> Here comes Cyberpunk. Ah! That'll be a big one to fall on you. And on that somewhat loopy note... Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back next time. And until then, happy adventuring.